This is Yudaha Cohen, Vision Movement, Vision Magazine, and you're listening to The Next Stage. Today in Israel is Yom HaZikaron Neshuah V'Lagvura, a day for remembering the Holocaust and the heroism. And to discuss this day, what it means, what it doesn't mean, how it's evolved over the years, uh, I've decided to bring Rina Bat Eliyahu back onto the show. Uh, for listeners who remember, she joined us a few episodes ago to talk about a situation on her campus in Canada and how, um, how Jews are being excluded from many conversations pertaining to identity and justice. Um, but Rina is also the granddaughter of three Holocaust survivors, and uh, I thought she'd have some special insights to share regarding this topic, regarding this day. Rina, welcome back. Thank you so much. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to this conversation. This is um, a topic that's very close to my heart. And... Okay, so maybe we can start there. Mm-hmm. You grew up in Toronto, correct? Yes. And uh, three out of four of your grandparents are survivors of the Holocaust. Yes. So how is the Holocaust taught to you? Like growing up, at, at what age were you made aware of what had happened to us? At what point did your grandparents share personal stories with you? Was this something that was spoken about openly? Was this something that people were um, hesitant or maybe even afraid to talk about? How did this conversation exist in your home? Yeah, so I guess to just explain briefly. So you said three out of my Three out of four of my grandparents are Holocaust survivors. Um, two of them were born in Poland and one in Hungary. Um, one of my my mom's moms, my grandmother, um, she's the one that played the most significant role in my life um, out of all my grandparents. Um, I'm the youngest of four daughters. So um, my other grandfathers who were Holocaust survivors, one died before I was born and um, the other one passed away when I was two or three. So my Safta Miriam, um, she's the one that I spoke to the most about it. She spoke to me, um, told me stories growing up. I knew about it ever since I was really young. Um, but as I grew older, that's when I gained um, a better understanding of what it really meant. But I always knew that I came from survivors. And when I was old enough, she sat down with me one one night and told me basically her whole story, kind of in bits and pieces. But yeah, it really impacted me. And this is something that I've always carried with me and will continue to and pass on to my children these stories and the amount of strength that came from my family. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting. We have different days on our calendar to commemorate the Shoah. And each day kind of has a different flavor. Like, for example, um, the 10th of Tevet, right? The 10th day of the month of Tevet is the day where traditionally uh, families who lost people in the Shoah and don't know exactly what day their loved one was killed, mm-hmm. use the 10th of Tevet as the day to commemorate their death. The the yurt site becomes the 10th of Tevet. And we're talking about an event, obviously, where so many people uh, were killed on unknown dates. Uh, so all, all those people 
are kind of you know assigned the yurt site assigned you know the, the anniversary of their death is considered the tenth of tivet so that's the day where we really mourn the personal loss where those people who lost uh, loved ones, family members, you know, friends, etc. Mourn that loss on the tenth day of the month of Tevet, and then you have the ninth of Av, where we commemorate the national loss, where we really think of this in terms of a catastrophe that happened to the Jewish people, or, or really, probably more precisely, the last and probably most intense derivative of an injustice that was perpetrated against us by the Romans, meaning that um, all of the terrible things that happened to us while we were in exile are considered to be on some level derivatives of that primary crime where the Romans displaced us, where the Romans destroyed our civilization and brought us into a situation of exile. And the Holocaust is very much seen as the culmination of all of that, uh, of those injustices, of, of those painful experiences, of all the trauma, of all the uh, persecution we suffered. The, the Holocaust is perceived and understood on the 9th of Av as kind of the culmination of all of that. And then there's this day, Yom HaShoah, or actually Yom HaZikaron HaShoah V'Lagvura, to be more precise, right? We say commemorating a, a day for remembering not only the Shoah, not only the event, but also the heroism, meaning the heroism of those who fought is really central to the day, or at least was central to the day when the day was established. And there are a few reasons for that. One of them is simply that we don't have sad days in the month of Nisan. You know, we're talking about an event that's commemorated on the 27th day of the month of Nisan. Nisan in our tradition, on our calendar, is a happy month. It's not a month that we mourn. Um, so obviously there's something else going on here. It can't be that we just have like a, a day in the month of Nisan to be sad about the Holocaust. That's that's not what's going on. Um, it's interesting because growing up, I always related to Yom HaShoah as a day of mourning, a day of remembering, but overall it's a day of sadness. Right. So I think that uh, speaks to the difference between how it's traditionally commemorated in Israel versus in the diaspora. And, right. and and in Israel, it's also evolved. Like we're talking about a day that was established in the 1950s. And it was actually established, it, it was in theory meant to be on the 14th of Nisan, which is actually Erev Pesach. It's like as Pesach is coming in, but it was moved to the 27th because of Pesach. But the reason why it was originally, in theory, meant to be on the 14th of Nisan is because that's the day that the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising began. Meaning that while the 10th of Tevet is a day for individuals to remember the loved ones that they lost, and the 9th of Av is a day to mourn the catastrophe that befell our people on a national level, the 27th of Nisan is actually a day to commemorate the fact that in the midst of all of that horror, some of us actually managed to make some Nazis bleed. And wow. it, it's really a celebration. And, and this is difficult for some people, but it's actually a celebration of the resistance. Right, meaning this is actually a day to focus on the heroism of those Jews who actually fought back 
physically against the Germans uh, because, and again, like I, I understand that this is challenging for people, but but essentially, look, we we can't judge those who didn't fight, right? You like, could argue there's different forms of resistance that took place. Some were just existing as Jews and practicing, you know, our customs and our traditions despite everything that was still going on. Those are different forms of resistance. Maybe one is more physically active, but I don't think we can judge those that were experiencing it at the time. No, for sure not. It's not about judgment. And and I agree with you that there are many different forms of resistance in such a situation. But I also think it's important we acknowledge that there are levels. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that, you know, one of the things that really, that I'm afraid a lot of us have begun to lose sight of over the decades is that one of the ways that the Germans were able to control us uh, and prevent us from resisting, even in situations where we outnumbered them like 50 to 1, 100 to 1, was by creating conditions that pushed all of us into a like mental state where we were exclusively concerned with our own personal survival. Like that was something they did to us. That was something that they had mapped out and they executed. Um, like it was very uh, methodical. Like this, no this like dehumanization process that they put us through uh, step by step. You know, beginning you know with the ghettos and eventually in the camps. And when we celebrate and focus on those who actually engaged in armed resistance against the Nazis, it's not just about like glorifying violence or or feeling like, oh yeah, they restored our honor, you know, b- because of how shameful the larger event was to us. It, it's about acknowledging, in my opinion, it's about acknowledging that there were some of us who were able to break free from the Nazi-induced mentality of narrow self-preservation in order to challenge evil, in order to challenge the Nazis, despite the risk of their own lives, right? So I'm saying that in this situation, under the conditions that the Nazis created, fighting back was actually an expression of love, stemming from a deep awareness that we're actually more than a mere collection of fragmented individuals. It was about reclaiming our humanity after it had been systemically taken from us. So I think that that's really what this day was supposed to be about and why the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising was so central to it. Um, And again, like, to be honest, I would be very uncomfortable with treating this as a sad day in the month of Nisan. I mean, the fact that it falls in the month of Nisan, the only way I could relate to it is as a day that's, you know, maybe bittersweet, meaning Mm -hmm. if it was just a sad day, just a day of mourning, um, I would say it doesn't belong in the month of Nisan. But the fact that it is in the month of Nisan means we have to treat it like there is something positive there, maybe hidden, but something positive there. And I think that's like revealed in the name, Yom HaZikaron Neshoah V'Lagvura, right? It's a day for remembering the Holocaust and the heroism. So not knowing what we lost, 
And again, there are other days for that. Like there are other days where we focus on what we lost on a personal level and on a national level. I mean, may, maybe we should also talk about the fact that there's this other thing uh, on the 27th of January called International Holocaust Remembrance Day, which is not our day at all. Like these three days we've been talking about until now, the 10th of Tevet, the 27th of Nisan and the 9th of Av are our days. But on a different calendar, on somebody else's calendar, we have the 27th of January, which is, in my opinion, actually offensive. Because what that day does is it universalizes the Shoah and tries to play down the uniquely Jewish aspects of what took place. And the fact that they chose January 27th, now what's January 27th? It's the day that the Allies, who had really done everything in their power to avoid interfering with the destruction of our people, it's the day that the Allies arrived at Auschwitz and quote-unquote, liberated the Jews who hadn't been killed yet. And so the very fact that they chose this date to commemorate the Holocaust, from my perspective, is really an act of those who really aided in the genocide of our people, recasting themselves in the role of our saviors. Right. So that I don't think we should acknowledge at all. That's just like some other date out there where... The United States and, and certain European, the British, I guess, whoever decided, you know, we're going to tell the story this way and we're the good guys. And not mention the fact they turned away Jewish refugees that could have been saved and actually, you know, did everything in their power to keep the Jews in the dark. And many uh, corporations in these countries did business with the Nazis, you know, including like Chase Bank and uh, Kodak and IBM and Standard Oil and Coca-Cola and Random House Publishing. The factory that my grandmother was forced to work in, my, my mom still sees uh, their logo like when she's driving in the streets of Toronto. So it, it was yeah. one of the car companies. No, it was, I think it was airplane parts. Um, I forget the name off the top of my head, but yeah, these, these companies are still still alive and around and no one's uh, really batting an eye for it. But yeah, another point I just want to bring up is when we, when we talk about the Holocaust and, we're, we're and we teach about the Holocaust, it's important to address the unique Jewish aspect of the Holocaust and how we were targeted specifically for us being Jews. Um, recently, I listened to a podcast that spoke about how um, the Holocaust Memorial Museum in Washington, um, how they depicted this like kind of everyday, like who, who was the victim in the Holocaust? And they portrayed this soccer playing young boy who, you know, it could have been you. It, it, this you could have been in the concentration camps and there was no Jewish aspect portrayed for this boy. Like instead of his, instead of his gold medals and his soccer ball, like why didn't they put Tfilin in his, his Talmud books? Um, and I think this kind of goes back to this universalization of the Holocaust and it being human versus human crime you could even say like white on white crime and i think that's portraying the holocaust in an inauthentic way and it was a human on jew crime that took place um and it you know in, in that society we were different we weren't just like the average 
Gentile, the average non-Jew, we were different and we have to recognize that, we have to accept that, that we're not like everybody else and the rest of the world has to recognize and accept that as well. But just to go back for a second um, in regard to Yom HaShoah mm-hmm. and what it means and how it's celebrated, I think, first of all, this is the day that we claimed. So I agree with you in regards to the international day that was um, placed upon us by the international community. Um, And for our day for Yom HaShoah, I do think there's a lot of um, empowerment in focusing more on the armed resistance and like talking about it and bringing that to light. There's a lot of power, especially for Jews today, to look into that and and see how our how our ancestors um, and our, our grandparents fought back. Um, however, at the same time, I do think it should not discount or belittle those who did not, and for a lot of reasons that we personally don't know and probably can't understand because we weren't in that situation ourselves, could not. So that's that's the part that I kind of find a little bit of difficulty with when when we say like I just I don't want to be comparing too much um, because I feel like from there it can kind of get into a gray area of you know uh, I don't really have the exact word but that's 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 what I want to say about that. There's a lot of good and. A lot, especially with our generation today, um, I think especially Jews in the diaspora need it um, to to see that and to recognize and to celebrate that part that we did fight back when we could, um, and or even when we couldn't. Right. I mean, again, these were not. It's not everybody. I, I mean, from my perspective, we're talking about very unique, giant souls. Not the average person. People who are able to stand up to that. I think we need to be able to celebrate those who are able to overcome all of the obstacles and the Nazis really set up like many, like like a whole system of psychological obstacles. Like they were very good at this. They were very thorough, you know. So given all that, I don't think it's about judging or in any way uh, denigrating the memories of those who weren't able to overcome those obstacles. But I think we should be able to celebrate those who did. And to acknowledge, to, to acknowledge that this wasn't simple. This was a, mm-hmm. something like almost like superhuman, that they're able right. to stand up and fight back despite the odds, despite the reality that they were living in, which we can't, you and I can't imagine. Like, honestly, the, the reality we see, no matter how many movies we see, no matter how many books we read, no matter how many survivors we listen to, we are not going to be able to understand really what took place and what it was like to be in that situation. But I think that's actually all the more reason for us to to take a day to acknowledge those who are able to transcend all of that, those who are able to break through all of that, those who are able to, despite all of the obstacles that the Germans had placed in front of us uh, and around us, were able to stand up and reclaim their humanity by by drawing German blood. Mm-hmm. I think it's a very challenging concept for a lot of people that that. Because it's also, it's very recent, it's, it's only two generations ago. Mm-hmm. 
I think when we talk about the Holocaust today, we talk about it as if it was so long ago, but it was fairly recent and still very fresh. And a lot of us have major second, third generation trauma from it. Um, still very alive in Israeli society and diaspora society, I think in different ways, but yeah, it's, it's uh, but I agree that we shouldn't be, we should be viewing the Holocaust, not as something to just remember once a year and then that's it. We have to uh, look at what led to the Holocaust, what signs were there that maybe we didn't wake up to fully and acknowledge. Um, there's a lot, yeah, there's a lot to unpack there. And I think we have to start now for sure, because we're seeing certain things in the diaspora communities now that are happening. And in a lot of spaces that are, I don't want to say, well, I'll, I'll say that are similar to things that, you know, were happening then. And I don't think we're, we're not, we're not vigilant enough and we're not awake enough to really put our, put our attention to it and, and put action to it today. Right. I mean, that might be a larger critique on how the Holocaust is taught through the generations and how that has changed. Meaning it could be that uh, my generation learned about the Holocaust differently than yours. It could be that my parents learned about it differently than we learn about it. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I think you're right, that we need to understand what led to it, that it didn't occur in a vacuum. Um, I, I would say it was actually the end result of something much deeper and broader that actually lay at the very foundations of an entire civilization. Meaning uh, the Holocaust was not a freak event that took everyone by surprise. It was actually the logical culmination that centuries of deep-seated hatred and brutal oppression had been building towards. I think it's a tremendous mistake to talk about the Holocaust as if it was just this you know, freak accident uh, that, uh, you know, the Germans were kind of down and feeling sorry for themselves and they needed a scapegoat and uh, there's the Jew. But if the Jew wasn't there, it would have been somebody else. I think that's a terrible way to understand the Holocaust because that ignores the centuries of um, really like centuries of deep seated hatred that had been kind of driving towards this event like when you think about it, I mean, you know that the underlying basis for Western morality is Christianity, right? But Christianity at the same time fostered a, a pathological hatred for the Jewish right. people within European society. Like there was like a real pathological hatred for the children of Israel. But at the same time, Christian morality also to a certain extent imposed restraints on Europeans, on Christians, that limited the extent to which the Jews could be harmed. Meaning there was no like mass scale genocide. But once Europe threw off the restrictive shackles of Christian dogma, its hatred of the Jewish people was allowed full expression. And this very much resulted in one of the greatest catastrophes in human history. And I think that if we're not willing to acknowledge the depth of what took place and to really try to understand its ideological roots, we can't claim to have truly learned or to have grown from the experience. And for me, honestly, that's the only thing positive we can do with something like this. We can learn, we can grow from the experience. And I think that what I find somewhat alarming, you know, 
you, you can't grow from an experience if you're not willing to self-criticize. If you're not willing to say like, we did something wrong and it was catastrophic. Especially if you're taking the position, and it sounds like you are, that that we're not out of the woods yet, that something like this could theoretically happen again, or that something else similar could happen again. If the Jewish people are still vulnerable, um, then don't we have an obligation to, to be ruthlessly self-critical and ask ourselves what we could have done differently to not allow ourselves to be put in that situation? Yeah, I think there's a I think there's a way to analyze it and to look back and then there's also a way of saying like if I was in that position I would have done differently and I, and I don't think you're saying that at all but I, I do think there are two ways to analyze it um, and yeah I, I agree I agree that we have to in Jewish spaces we have to look into it more critically look what we know for sure is this we know that there were Jews who saw this coming and who tried to warn about it and who were treated like lunatics by the Jewish establishment of the time. Right up until the beginning of the Shoah, even if we go a century back in time to 1840, at the time of the Damascus blood libel, right? Harav Yudachai Alkali, he was a Kabbalist in Sarajevo at the time. In response to the Damascus blood libels, he said that the Jewish people have a hundred years to create a political movement to bring our people back to the land of Israel. And if we do not create a political movement to bring our people back to the land of Israel by 1940, a king worse than Haman will come to destroy us in the exile. And he said that the person who leads this movement will be the Mashiach ben Yosef, the messianic force of Yosef. Uh, and it happens, you know, I, I think it's interesting that Rav Yudachai actually had a student named Shimon Lev, who himself had a son who wanted to be a German and changed his name from Lev to Herzl. And that Herzl had a son and that son became a journalist and ultimately was covering the uh, Dreyfus affair and uh, heard the mobs shouting death to the Jews and then wrote a book called The Jewish State and created the Zionist movement. And he himself, uh, not only did he create this political movement to bring the Jewish people home, he himself sensed a like a, a catastrophe on the horizon. And it wasn't just Herzl and it wasn't just Rav Yudachai it was Max Nordau and it was uh, Zev Jabotinsky um, and it was Uri Tzvi Greenberg, meaning there were plenty of voices trying to warn us um, that we needed to go home. And I think, honestly, for me, it comes down to a question of emotional maturity. Like, I think to be, um, to be able to see the forces of hatred brewing before those forces of hatred are mature enough to strike, you need to be emotionally mature. You need to be sensitive. And I think that those leaders who demonstrated a real deep sensitivity to the situation of their people were dismissed as troublemakers, as lunatics. And, and not only that, I mean, there were, there are even examples of Jewish leaders in the United States cooperating with the uh, Roosevelt administration to keep 
their public in the dark about what was happening to the Jews of Europe. Meaning that, you know, like, I don't see any way to really learn the lessons of the Holocaust without, without confronting the irresponsibility of the Jewish communal leadership in the years leading up and even during the, the event itself. Right. I, I would question, like, if today someone would come out and say that, do you think we would take it seriously? Like in the diaspora communities at least? Like do you, I don't, I personally don't think that today we would take it seriously. Uh, right, I, I think that's also true. It's our mindset, um, it's our mindset of not being awake to our true identity and to who we truly are and where we come from, um, some of the, you know, the, they say the German Jews were the most assimilated Jews and they they like identified as being more German than they were Jewish. And of course we know what happened um, with them. And- Like the hate came from there. Right. No, I was just gonna say, like, I think it comes down to us thinking that we're like, we're like every other people, or at least us trying to be like every other people and we're we're not and it's this we need to realize that we're we're different and we're we're not like everybody else and when we try to be like everyone else this is what happens we have to come to this this realization i don't know how else to put it mm -hmm. it's not gonna go any other i don't see it going in any other direction until we like come to this truth about ourselves or accept it at least that we have a unique role to play in history. And uh, th there is one way of looking at this as a conflict that's been going on a very long time between the people of Israel and the force we call Amalek. And that the Nazis definitely represented an expression of Amalek in this world. Uh, and, sure. and I think many actually self-identified that way. And if you look at certain, you know, white nationalist social media accounts, there are people today uh, in North America who identify that way. Mm. But you're right. I think that if somebody were to, you know, start warning about like, uh, you know, looming catastrophe in certain Jewish diaspora communities or even here, they would likely be dismissed. And, and I think that also we have to know how to differentiate between somebody who's just, you know, you know, a lot of people, especially in our generation, there's just like a lot of political exaggeration, whether yeah. online or... Yeah, conspiracy theories and like with the internet now, like you don't know what's real, what's fake. Uh, so, so you have to sift through that. You have to be able to sift through that. But I think that could just come down to being willing and able to kind of analyze what they're saying. Maybe that's the Maybe that's really the trick. It's not about accepting or rejecting you know somebody who comes with warnings of catastrophe but actually being willing to confront what they're saying to investigate what they're saying to engage with what they're warning about but in an emotionally mature way and right. Same today, you don't you don't really need today to to have someone to come out and say that to us we can just look at what's physically happening on the ground in, in diaspora communities, like Jews not being allowed to uh, 
buy kosher food on college campuses. Like I know it's there's a, a political background there, but ultimately it's saying Jews are not welcome. And these are, in my opinion, like mirroring things that we have seen before. And there's ultimately not much being done about it. Um, yeah, it's something to think about. I don't, I don't know if I, I don't know if I draw the the same parallels. I'm not sure. Maybe you know, maybe. I think so. Jews are being like slowly, slowly kicked out of these these spaces. Mm-hmm. Right. It's it's something to think about. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, when I say that, I I mean I'm not sure. I see that headed in the direction we're talking about. Um, but I, I think it's alarming and I think it's something to combat, you know, it's something to push. That's what I'm saying. I'm not saying the Holocaust is going to happen again, God forbid. But we're just, it's it's very concerning mm-hmm. and what's being done about it. All right. So look, for me, um, on this day, you know, Yom HaZikron HaShuaba the most important thing is to honor all of those who were martyred, all of those who were killed, um, but to focus specifically on those who died fighting, those who found it within themselves to engage in armed resistance against the Nazis, despite, you know, despite all the dehumanization that had taken place, those who managed to hold on to their humanity to the extent that they were able to actually fight back and make a point. And I think that there are many days on our calendar, like we said, there are three days on our calendar where we really think about this event. Uh, it, it, it's such a major event in recent Jewish history that it, I think it's fitting that it has three different days on our calendar where we can focus on it from different angles. And I think this specific date, which happens to be in the month of Nisan, um, should, like, meaning its essence should be preserved, meaning what it was created for should be preserved and we should actually um, use it to focus on those who did manage to fight back. And again, I agree with you, many, many forms of resistance, maybe many levels of resistance, but I think the supreme level was actually being willing to risk their lives and fight back physically against our persecutors. Yeah, if they were able to, I agree, yes. All right. Thanks again, Rina, for joining me on the show. Thank you. I'll have to bring you back again soon. Maybe talk about easier topics, right? Sure. Sounds great. All right. This is Yudaha Kohen, Vision Movement, Vision Magazine, and you're listening to the Next Stage Podcast. You can check out the show notes for this episode by going to visionmag.org backslash the next stage 75.